Hello there, crowdfunders. This is Sean Neal from Woodshed Agency sitting in for Jeff Wenzel, who is uh, still out taking care of the family after the, the unfortunate passing of his father. Uh, we covered that in the last episode, for those of you who want to catch up. Um, today we have a great interview with Matt Hawkins from Top Cow uh, about the Witchblade Kickstarter. This is a really cool comic book-based uh, campaign. These guys... Um, I think it's their 11th or 12th campaign that they've run now from Top Cow. These guys really know what they're doing. And we had an awesome conversation, um, not only about his project, but, you know, how to be a good Kickstarter citizen, you know, how to take care of your backers, how to cultivate the community, and, and how to really ensure that not only you can be successful, but other people who are maybe running their first campaign can follow in your footsteps. And really great uh, far-reaching conversation there, but we'll get to that. Um, so what's going on in my life? What's going on in the world of Woodshed Agency? Well, I got to tell you about a stress. There's a, a stress that I have never felt like stress before. And that is the stress of your 2010 Jeep Patriots horn that will not stop going off. I'm telling you people, for about a week, I had the weirdest car problem where while I'm driving, while the car's sitting in the parking lot, um, outside a woodshed agency or at my home in the middle of the night, you name it, all of a sudden my horn would just start beeping. Beep, 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 beep. I mean, guys, this is literally a device in your car designed to say, hey, pay attention to me. And this thing was just going off on random. I did all the Google searching, trying to figure out what is causing this. There's no fuse you can pull. There's no wire you can cut there's there the dealerships don't have any idea of what's causing this thing to go off it's just been going off and it was driving me crazy so finally um middle of the night uh monday a week ago uh four in the morning this thing just starts going off and it's just a constant solid beep and i had to run down you know middle of the night snow on the ground in my boxer shorts t-shirts flip-flops, getting in the car, trying to pound this horn to get it to stop, but I couldn't get it to stop no matter what. Neighbors' lights are coming on. I'm hearing dogs and cats and trash cans knock over. I finally had to jump in the car and drive it a few blocks over to a Kroger parking lot just to get it to an area where this horn isn't just squealing. You know, I'm, I got the hood up, out in my underwear, trying to figure out what's going on. And next thing you know, all of the Ferndale and Hazel Cop police on duty to start pulling out to me lights flash and wondering what's going on because there's a crazy person driving around with their horn going off and it became pretty apparent that not a crazy person just a mechanical idiot in his horn that won't go off so uh needless to say i provided some great entertainment for about an hour for the ferndale and hazel park police while they uh took their turns trying to figure out how to get my damn horn to stop and uh Nobody could do it. Nobody could figure it out. They just all had a good laugh at my expense. And uh, we ended up pulling the battery, getting the car back to the house and calling it a day. Finally uh, called up my buddy. Uh, only thing you, you can do, apparently, is lift the car up, take off the tires, and uh, just go pull the horn wire. So that's what I did. Went over to a buddy's garage that, that has a bus company. We got it up on the lift, took that tire out, ripped off all that all that plastic around the wheel hub and just yanked out my horn until we could figure out what's going on. So uh, that's the stress I've been living with for the last week. And uh, I got to tell you, man, it, it'll ruin your day real quick.
uh, just like no other. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, this is my last episode. Uh, Jeff will be back with you guys uh, for future podcasts. It was a really good time hanging out with you, sharing sharing a little bit of uh, stories from Woodshed, talking to some really cool project creators. Um, so without further ado, let's talk to Matt Hawkins about uh, Witchblade. The red light is going, and uh, I'm sitting here with Matt Hawkins of Witchblade, and we're going to talk some awesome graphic art. So, Matt, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about uh, uh, the origins of this this uh, character? Well, uh, Witchblade was created 25 years ago, and that's why we're doing this campaign, is it's actually the 25th anniversary of the character. It was created by uh, Mark Silvestri, Brian Haberlin, Michael Turner, and David Wall back in 1995. And um, it's been Top Cow's longest-running character and it's arguably the second uh, most prominent female superhero behind Wonder Woman. Um, it's had the most uh, longest, you know, concurrent series. Uh, and uh, there was a TV show on TNT in 2000, 2001. And there was a Japanese animated series that was in Japan in 2004 and 2005 um, that was translated and brought back to the United States. So it's had, uh, it's had other media opportunities as well. And it's been consistently uh, published for us for the entire 25 years. So it's, uh, it's probably our biggest character by far. For sure, for sure. So um, give us, you know, for, for those of us that aren't necessarily um, um, fans of the comic or, or know the character, give us a little sense of, of who she is as a character and what, what her origin is. The, way, the easiest way I explain it is it's uh, NYPD Blue meets the X-Files. It's, uh, it's a woman who is a homicide detective um, and uh, she comes uh, in contact and, and bears this mystical artifact. It's initially just a, a little bracelet that snaps to her wrist. Uh, and in the original comic origin, uh, she found it at the Rialto Theater in, in New York um, and it sort of called to her. There's The idea of it is the Witchblade is an artifact that uh, it, it chooses a woman of every generation to be its wielder. And historically, that includes, you know, a lot of powerful women like uh, Joan of Arc, uh, Nefertiti, you know, a lot of famous women in history. We've sort of retconned the history to include that they had the Witchblade and that's why they were so powerful. Um, the idea of the Witchblade is it's tied into the whole Top Cow universe where there is the darkness, the Witchblade, and the Angelus. The darkness is the power of the dark, Angelus is the power of the light, um, and uh, the Witchblade is intended to be the balance between the two forces, meaning that if one of those two sides ever becomes dominant, it essentially means the end of mankind. So, um, you see, this character has been around for about 25 years. Give us a sense of how big... Um, the legacy audiences for this book and 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 this character well we've probably um i don't have exact figures I, I figured it out about 10 years ago and at that point we'd sold about 500 million books so um that's a lot i mean it's it's far and away our most prominent character um it's one of the most popular and long-term characters from image comics which would include spawn and and a few others you know walking dead um and uh, so these it's it's part of a it's part of a heritage that uh, we're really proud of. And, uh, you know, Michael Turner, who was the artist of the original arc, uh, sadly passed away from cancer about 10 years ago. And uh, so this is the 25th legacy, 25th anniversary, but it's, it's a bit, it's a bit bittersweet for us because, uh, you know, one of the original guys who helped design and, and, and make it as popular as this is no longer with us. And he died in his thirties. Oh, wow. Well, that's too bad. So the, um, the project here, um, give us a sense of what, what you hope to accomplish um, 
with uh, the 25th anniversary edition? Like what, what kind of, what kind of merch and what kind of um, 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 deliverables are, are involved in this? Well, there's a, there's all kinds of different pledge tiers. The main thing that we're getting people to pledge is a, uh, is a distinctive Kickstarter wraparound uh, dust jacket hardcover of the uh, first Witchblade compendium, which includes like the first 30 or 20, 18 issues of Witchblade and a few spinoff books. Um, so it's kind of the original stuff. It's not been republished in, in a considerable amount of time. So it's a unique package. And uh, we've got a lot of uh, merch on the outside of it. Most of the backers are, are just getting the book, but there are t-shirts, there are keychains, there are buttons, you know, and we have multiple stretch goals. I mean, for us, Kickstarter is a little different. We look at Kickstarter as a distribution outlet. It's not a, uh, a lot of independent creators and smaller people will use Kickstarter as a, hey, please help my dream come through so I can publish my book. Um, our thing is we're, we're, we already published the book. It's, it comes out in, in multiple formats and uh, we're, we're distributing this in, in, in all of our different channels. It'll be out in the comic book stores, it'll be available in the bookstores on Amazon through our own stores, the conventions. Um, but what we're also doing is offering it to the Kickstarter audience with an exclusive dust jacket that wraps around the hardcover. And it's like 680 pages, it's a four pound book, it's huge, you know, and it's, uh, we actually just had them delivered to our warehouse yesterday. So um, I, I was actually shocked at how heavy it was. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a fun thing and uh, we've already had, uh, I, I haven't looked to the update but i think we have like 800 backers already and we're already over 500 percent of our goal we're closing in at 600 percent of our goal um and uh so it's all it's all very exciting yeah with about 10 days left um so let's talk a little bit about your kickstarter strategy are most of the people that are that are coming to the kickstarter a baked-in fan base of witchblade or, or are there new people discovering it um, I think it's probably mainly uh, existing fans, um, and uh, it might be a Kickstarter. This is our ninth Kickstarter, and I think we've built kind of an audience around it. And I think once, you know, there's a lot of people that don't like crowdfunding because the uh, the rewards never show up or they're broken or whatever it is. I, uh, you know, my ex-wife used to buy a lot of these things on Kickstarter, like tech stuff, like headphones and stuff like that. And she used to complain that she'd get about half of it, and the other half would just mysteriously never materialize, you know. And so because we've uh, fulfilled all our rewards always and we've never we've had some issues with you know shipping and stuff being broken and we've replaced it we've tried to do customer service as best we can um, so we've built up a bit of an audience through kickstarter that but the, to me they're existing fans because our first kickstarter was in 2011. yeah so yeah i mean that, that's one of the best practices of the kickstarter there's not only the best practices of, of launching a successful campaign but there's a whole series of best practices of delivering so, you know, if you ever want to hope of, you know, this just for everybody out there, if you ever want a, a chance of doing this again, you really have to do fulfillment properly. And, you know, more and more, we're talking to companies like you guys that are, that are using Kickstarter as this distribution model or this uh, channel for exclusive content or exclusive products. And, and having that, that full faith and confidence of delivery on time or, or in a reasonable amount of time in great condition is, is how you can do that. No, we've, we've certainly been late a few times and uh, not, not for lack of intent, but uh, one of the things I always tell people is if you've got to be late, just communicate it, you know, and uh, just, that's what the updates are for. You can email people directly and, um, you know, if we're late or we have a problem on things. And sometimes we've had instances where the stuff, like some of the merch that we developed, uh, we finally got it shipped to us from the company that we did it and it was crap or it was broken. And then we've offered uh, substitutions for different things. So, you know, you just got to kind of figure out what your strategy is and, and talk to your fans. And I've, I found that most people are pretty reasonable. There's always going to be that one person that's not, 
give them their money back and move on. You know, I mean, that's, that's sort of my, my thought on it is if they're complaining and, uh, you know, some people you can never make happy. So. Well, that, that, that is the general social contract of crowdfunding is that, you know, as a backer, we're willing to, to pledge money up front and, and have a certain delay in delivery because not only do we like what the creator is developing, but we believe in the creator's mission, right? So that's, as long as the creator never breaks that good faith, um, you'll continue to have backers um, support you, even through delays, even through issues, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's not only do, do multiple creators view this as a distribution method for exclusive rewards, but it's also a way to scale up. And you, usually your, your second, your third, your fourth are going to be bigger campaigns. And it, it's a really best practice to continue that communication through updates and talk about some of the challenges you find when you're scaling up maybe beyond what you've ever produced. So, you know, the success of the campaign sometimes does offer up some new challenges and new opportunities. So, yeah, I think it, um, it yeah. literally is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it, communication. It, 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 communication is key and transparency. Yeah, transparency is the right word and honesty. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of times you tell people, uh, hey, this happened and uh, we weren't expecting this and it was sort of unforeseen. Um, you know, if it's your 20th campaign, like it's our ninth, I think. So if, if we can't figure out the shipping cost, that's the North freaking morons, right? But, uh, you know, if there's something that comes up, there's always something that comes up in each campaign that's unforeseen. So uh, I like to do updates. And, and what I found is um, even if, uh, you know, a, a the postal hardcover was one we did a few months ago, and uh, we still we're, we're supposed to fulfill that I think in March. And um, I had told people back in January, whatever it was, that uh, the book was at the printer. We were expecting it back from China in March, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you know, a bunch of people have IM'd or emailed and asked about you know is it's going to be delayed because of the coronavirus. And I hadn't even thought about that, so I just went in and posted a new update and said, no, we're still good. You know, we're all going to wear masks when we go to the warehouse and start unboxing it. But uh, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> that can't hurt to be said. Yeah. Right? And that that's a real thing. I mean, um, you know, not 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 to vector in politics or whatever with this, but so many we see so often with our clients and with people we talk to on these podcasts that factors like tariffs or international relations or, um, you know, viruses or, or a few years ago with Fukushima um, exploding, you know, those, those factors do play into um, um, the delivery of products. And, and you don't think about them, people, you know, acts of yeah, God and, or whatever they are, natural disasters. I mean, and uh, they can screw you up majorly, you know, like, uh, we had a situation, uh, not for a Kickstarter, but for a regular book a few years ago, where uh, we had a new printer approach us and offer us these, you know, discounted prices if we tried to do this. So we moved a book over there and printed it. Turned out they didn't know how to do the glue binding correctly. So when this book had shipped and it had already been distributed to everyone all over the country and all over the world, um, and the glue was not properly in the binding. So the second somebody opened the book, all the pages fell out. You know, And the shitty part of that is, uh, it sucks because we paid them, we had it delivered, we freighted it from China, you know, and then the stuff is, the product is defective. And then what do you do? You know, I mean, because at that point, if you recall it and reprint it, you know, we're not like uh, a Fortune 500 company. That's that's a tremendous expense for us. And uh, it causes problems. So there's always, there's always going to be unforeseen things. And I think just kind of rolling with it and trying to be, you know, like I said, transparency is a great word. I like that word a lot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of our listeners might be thinking about doing um, crowdfunding for the first time. And um, 
a lot of these discussions are on what you did to prepare for a successful campaign. I think what's really interesting is that we're really deep diving into um, post-campaign success. And if, if you are going to be successful on the front end, these are as important, if not more important, um, best practices to follow. Um, with that note, let's talk a little bit about um, what you did to to make sure this one crossed the finish line. Uh, did you do any sort of pre-launch activity or or announcement to the audience? Yeah, we do a countdown. I, I think like we'll say we're, and, and I think people are used to the fact that because we've done, like I said, it's our ninth campaign. So we've done this before where we show on all social media, T minus five days, T minus four days, and we'll have like an image of what the thing is. We won't necessarily explain what it is, but that's sort of our, you know, cue to our fan base that something is going to be there. We don't do a lot of pre-press. And the reason why is because um, I found that you need that call to action because we've done pre-press before and people would see the article, but they would have no way to go and immediately buy it. I mean, we're in sort of this uh, real-time culture now where everything is immediate, you know, so um, we sort of blitzkrieg all our press once, this, once the, the situation is live, once the, the, the campaign is actually live and people can go on and pledge, that's when we do sort of our initial blitzkrieg of, uh, of press. And, uh, you know, we funded, um, we did our funding, the 100% the funding in, in the first four hours. And so uh, we were kind of shocked at how quickly it happened. But uh, when you do that, um, it sort of works. And uh, I found that we, and these aren't exact numbers, but about a third of our campaigns historically have been in the first two or three days. Um, and then the uh, last third is in the last two or three days. And so you have like the middle 25 days is the other third and it sort of drags. And um, I've thought about shortening the length of campaigns and I've been repeatedly told don't do it because people have different paydays and they might have different bills and uh, yeah so th this is great this is a, a conversation we have all the time so that the third strategy they're not even exactly thirds I, I would break it into the first 20 percent the last 20 percent and then the middle 60 percent and and we call that middle 60 percent the trough of despair and and if you look at most <laughs> if you look at most yeah, if you do look at most campaigns on, on a tool like Bigger Cake or or for board games and publishing um, um, Kick Track, you'll see that arc where you, you have that really successful first couple of days and then it's just trickles, trickles, trickles. And, and that trough of despair is where people start to have that fear, uncertainty and doubt of are they doing the right thing? And especially if you didn't like blow away your goal in those first couple of days, that trough of despair could be a real nail, nail biter. And so... So what we recommend to, to, to most project managers and creators is what you want to do is try to shorten the trough of despair as much as possible, right? So if you're going to have a 45-day or a 60-day campaign, you know, it's not like you're going to lengthen that first 20%. You know, it, it's still going to be the first 48 hours, the first four days are where you're going to have the bulk of your pledges, then it's going to fall off. and and you're not really gaining a ton until you get to the end. But so we usually recommend no more than 30 days, but we also pay attention to the, the, what we call the Friday calendar of like trying to guess, all right, if we're launching at the beginning of a month, we want to try to have at least two, if not three biweekly Fridays fall into that. And, um, it's um, so sometimes a campaign might be 28 days because that's how it laid on the calendar, or it might be 32 days simply because we wanted to capture that third Friday. Um, but the reality is, 
that doesn't matter because Kickstarter doesn't take your money until the campaign ends anyway. But it is this psychological factor that people have of a reluctance to pledge maybe when they don't have the funding available yet, you know, and, and knowing. So, um, but yeah, the, the longer campaigns just prolong things. And, and the other thing too is if you're running Facebook ads, all you're doing is adding an expense for that longer trough of despair because you got to continue your, your, your ads going for that amount of time. And they might, they might get stale. You know, if you don't have fresh content, if you don't have a strong retargeting strategy, you're kind of burning some dollars for a very little return. We don't do, we don't do actually any advertising at all for our Kickstarter campaigns. Um, it's all through our own social media and through uh, press. Fortunately for us, you know, we have a pretty significant fan base and a pretty significant reach. So uh, we've actually, I don't think we've ever bought an ad for any of our campaigns. That, that's, that's interesting. You know, when you have a property that, especially IP, like a character or a book or something that, that has a 25 year following, um, you, you may have the luxury of a different ad strategy. You know, our best story with that is we did the Cream documentary about Cream Magazine. And, you know, that, that had a, a 50 year, you know, 40, 50 year history of all these rock stars and their legacy fan bases and, and people that read Cream or were fans of Almost Famous or Lester Bangs. And so, you know, just, just tapping in to those audiences or seeing someone like, you know, Alice Cooper on screen or, or um, Joan Jett on screen did it for you. But um, when you're introducing something brand new, you have to do Facebook advertising. Right. No, I, I get that. We have. And I'm done, really curious. Um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I'm saying I'm really curious with a character like Witchblade, like how much you would have gotten of targeting Facebook ads to audiences like The Walking Dead or audiences of Wonder Woman or, or other characters that might discover Witchblade through the success of this campaign versus, you know, a, a baked in fan of the character already. Yeah. And I think I, we found that, um, you know, I think there are a lot of people that just peruse Kickstarter, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we use it is um, there are people that uh, don't buy our books outside of Kickstarter. And we've actually done um, original books like I, I've actually written and published uh, four different books that were not based on legacy characters at all. They were original sort of stories and ideas um, that I did uh, through Kickstarter, and those those all funded as well. Um, it's a good it's a good question. I, I think for us, we uh, you know we've done things in the past where we've spent money in advertising, and uh, I don't know why, but in comic books, it's like where do you spend it? You know, I mean, the thing is with our Facebook um, and our social media reach. We do have the corporate feeds and the corporate pages, which uh, they're throttled to where, you know, a lot of people don't see them without advertising. But uh, most of the uh, interaction we get on our feeds is from either my personal Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or from Mark Silvestri's and uh, the other people that work on these books. So um, we do know that they get, they get seen, you know. Um, it's, it's a good question. I, I, uh, I think for us, uh, we haven't needed it, you know, so, you know, but... Maybe I'll try it. I don't know. You give me something to think about. Yeah, I mean, we we had uh, uh, this this October we ran a Dracula book, which was um, again legacy. It, it was it was based on Bram Stoker, and they had the involvement of the Stoker estate. And um, the whole idea was, you know, the Dracula book 
was told as a series of field notes and investigative tools. And they, they redid the book as that. So, you know, there, there's some of the book is on a record. Some of the book is in handwritten notes and it was all packaged. And, um, you know, we were, we definitely raised over. Yeah. You know, yeah, definitely a six figure raise. Uh, and, and that was really a large part of the publishers built in audience beehive books. Um, but probably 20 to 30 percent did come from targeting people that knew of dracula weren't necessarily fans of beehive books or their legacy or or buying a property in this way and showing them a a new way to experience it and 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 that's that's how we did our ads we didn't spend a lot of energy on the ad trying to convince someone who's already a fan of the medium to come It, it was really about discovering new audiences and bringing new people into the fold yeah, I think and, uh, for us, we've experimented with Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, and Twitter ads, and all these things to try to sell um, uh, different books over the years that were books that were available either through our own stores or through, like, not not through Kickstarter, but through our own like uh, fulfillment houses. And uh, we just not had a lot of success with uh, translating that into sales. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, it's really interesting. I, I think that you know, there's definitely in this category, there's a cap, you know, it's not necessarily seeing the, the wild success of board games or, or, or multi, multi-million, multiple multi-million dollar campaigns. But I, I do think, you know, the chances that you'll touch six figures are pretty high. And uh, once you hit that last third of your campaign in a few days here, and, um, you know, definitely, I do think that that is a bar that's achievable if more people do look at what level of strategy Facebook advertising and social media marketing can complement the already best practice of, of using your, your well-deserved audience. Because they give and, metrics and the analytics you can look at from Facebook where they say that these, you, you had this many people come in and pledge from this, this is where they came from. And I, I look at that and almost half of them come from either my own social media feeds, my personal ones, not the corporate ones, or Mark Silvestri's personal, corp, or personal feeds as well. So we're blasting out to our own uh, readership, followers, fans, whatever you want to call them. And uh, they just go in and they buy it. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the benefit of having done that hard work in the campaign number one and campaign number two. And, and doing what you're talking about in the back end of being transparent, fulfilling, and, and when problems arise, communicating with your audience so that you can count on them for campaign seven, eight, nine, yeah, yeah you just build. Uh, there's, there's loyalty. There's, it's just like anything. It's, it's brand loyalty. It's, uh, you know, it comes in a lot of things, and, and no one likes being, uh, you know, gypped. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, Matt, you guys got a killer product. Um, a great character. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I remember that show. You know, oh yeah, know. the TNT one. I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like I've seen it, but you know, with the the sultriness of the character, I feel like it's. It's something something in the zeitgeist like oh yeah i remember i remember commercials for that, that yeah, yeah, yeah no it was a good show and it actually it has the weird privilege of being the highest rated tv show on tnt ever to be canceled so ah. <laughs> <laughs> i you know whatever uh, so so many good shows canceled i know uh, i know but oh man yeah well yeah boy netflix is killing me with that right now let me tell you mm. 
Yeah, but all right, man. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about there's, as of recording this, there's 10 days left to pledge and this thing airs. You'll probably be in your last three days. Um, how, do, how do people find you? What, what, what should they be focused on in your Kickstarter? Um, well, the Kickstarter is just, it's, on, it's in the graphic novel section. It's a witch, it's a Witchblade uh, hardcover. Um, and, uh, you know, that's really the, the main thing to get. There are some add-ons. We added some stretch goals um, to get some free stuff. There's some other stuff you can buy. No, excuse me. If you want some pens, a t-shirt, you know, that kind of stuff, there's all kinds of that stuff you can, you can get. And there's different packages that include, but the basic tier is a $50 tier. It's the hardcover and uh, it's all the hardcovers are signed by Mark Silvestri, which is uh, hard to get because he doesn't actually do a lot of conventions. So, um, you know, my signature is actually really easy to get because I do like 20 a year, you know, so people, you know, my signature is worthless, but Mark's is worth a lot. And uh, he's signing all these for free. So all 800 backers and however many more backers we get, we'll get their hardcover actually signed by him for free. And uh, we'll be getting these. In fact, uh, these books were just delivered. See, the thing is, here's the crazy part. These books were just delivered to our warehouse yesterday. So, um, you know, we already, we took a flyer and gambled and figured and took a guess as to how many we would do and sell. And uh, uh, we were accurate. So it's- it's That's, that's fantastic. It's good to know so, your uh, business. So yeah, uh, are you going to do any post-funding activities when this thing uh, ends? Any any Indiegogo on demand or anything like that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I, uh, I didn't even realize until I started seeing people do it that you could do a Kickstarter and then launch a, the same exact thing on Indiegogo, and no one seems to care about that. We're talking to CrowdOx and BackerKit about trying to see about extending out. We've not done any of those yet. Um, I was a little shocked at some of the expense of of some of those and what they're offering because they take a percentage of your entire campaign. Um, and I don't know that, uh, it's worthwhile. I've talked to a few people like Brian Polito is a good buddy of mine and he runs a lot of campaigns on Kickstarter for lady death and he uses CrowdOX and he says it creates a community and allows people that pledge to buy additional copies after the fact. So he sort of thinks that that's a good, good deal. Uh, we've never done yeah. that. So well, I'll tell you, those are definitely, you know, if you can justify the expense, those are great services. Um, not to pitch one of our things, but what, what we talk about in our, our uh, crowdfunding roadmap is the way to launch your own Shopify so that it, as long as you've got fulfillment down, it sounds like you guys are a great candidate for this, is um, doing the similar activities. And, and you can take your Kickstarter page once you're done and point it right back to a Shopify store and handle your own post funding and kind of cut out the middleman. So that, that might be a, a great strategy for you guys to take a look at. I am. And, uh, uh, I was just writing that down. That's a good idea because I the, the OX and the um, you know I just was just the amount that they're taking. I understand they're providing a service. I just didn't. I, I haven't really had a chance to run the numbers to see if it's actually worthwhile. We were considering doing one on this campaign just as a test, but that's a good idea. I'll look into that. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I think our two cents is um, you know a, a lot of the companies that that are in this space try to do great jobs for their customers, and I think both of those services definitely qualify as that. Um, think about the mentality of a project creator. If you're a first time creator and you've had a wildly successful campaign and now, now you've got to tackle building a thousand units of your widget or whatever, and try to figure out how to get them out to backers and fulfill these companies might be your lifesaver because you're going to be so full of making your product that, that doing the back end is just going to be a, another headache. But if you're a company that's that's really solid at fulfilling products, 
um, you may you may want to consider doing it yourself and 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 taking the plunge into digital marketing and doing a Shopify page. I think we will, and I I will I will thank you for that. Um, and if you ever come to Los Angeles, I'll buy you dinner as a thanks because um, we do have our own TopCowStore.com, and we sell all this stuff on our own store. So we are constantly doing fulfillment, um, and so it'd be very easy for us to do uh, additional fulfillment on our own. Um, I just wasn't sure how to do it. You'd be a great candidate for that, and um, you know we, you know, we talk a lot about this in in some of our other uh, areas of woodshed, and and more than happy to share best practices on a call with you on that. But, but for for all the listeners out there, if you're a first time creator and you've had a wildly successful campaign and you're sitting on a thousand plus units you got to deliver, give these two companies a look. They might save your tail. But if, if you if you feel like you've got a good handle on fulfillment, um, let's talk about Shopify. Let's talk about yeah, because uh, comic books done. are interesting because you you can't send them damaged even slightly. You know, I mean, uh, people don't want uh, like I I've gotten novels sent to me from Amazon and they're a little bent or whatever. But I I, I just read it who cares you know but comic books are bagged and boarded and collected put on people's shelves they're considered collectibles on top of being just something that you read so you need to know how to fulfill it and how to do it to where it doesn't show up bent um, that's the one thing i've had because i do pledge a lot of independent kickstarters just for my own sake and and i'm curious um and i i've gotten a lot of them that have been bent like uh they're just shipped in like a flat usps envelope and then whatever during the process I got one one time that had a tire print on it, you know, and uh, that actually made me kind of laugh. I kept it just to show people. I'm like, this is funny. It's, it's, it's it, I don't know if the UPS truck drove over it or <laughs> it literally had a tire print across the comment. I think that you're touching on a great, a great point um, that back to what you were leading with, with doing fulfillment properly and making sure that you can keep a backer community is you really have to make sure that the culture of the community you're shipping to, those standards are adhered to on every step of the process. And that, that, that's probably a great example of, you know, I know how it is, you're a first time creator or a new creator, you're watching that bank account drain as you're paying your shipping fees, your freight fees, your printer, your colorist. And when you get down to, okay, what are the materials I'm gonna pick to ship in? And maybe if you didn't do your front end right, you're dipping into your personal finances and you cheap out on that envelope. Although you did everything right up until that point, that one little decision could be the thing that ruins it for you. Well, and, it, it, it's, it's like that book I told you about where the pages all, all fell out. You know, um, the people that buy that book and they might buy it from Barnes and Noble. You know, they may not buy it from us directly. They don't blame Barnes and Noble. They don't blame the Chinese printer. They blame us you know, because we're the product creator. And uh, it sucks because we don't have anything to do with that process. And um, I, you know, you're always trying to save money in a business. And I, I'm a little more hesitant to, to use new printers now for that reason. Uh, and we sort of have stuck with uh, some of the printers we use now for the last 20, 25 years. But there are delays. I mean, and that's where we talked earlier about transparency is delays. If we had not uh, taken kind of a flyer and guessed how many of these we would have sold and printed it early before we printed, we sent this book to press before the campaign even started. So we kind of had an idea of what we were doing. Talking about calling your shot, right? <laughs> yeah. But see, yeah. if we had not, the book would be delayed a month or two because we have other books that are in the queue after that, that are now being delayed by a month or two because of the, the coronavirus. Coronavirus. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you, you know, the last little bit of best practices I would share from our experience is, um, and I just had a lead call earlier today talking about this. 
with a crowdfunder where they undervalued their product, you know, where, you know, they were selling a product for $17 that they could probably sell for $35. And, and the reality is crowd, crowdfunding backers, they, they strike this balance of wanting the product and wanting it at a fair price, right? And they'll, they'll show up early like they did for your campaign for like early bird rewards or, or things like that. But there's a willingness to maybe overall pay a little bit more to make sure that the creator has enough money in the bank to do all these steps correctly um, in between the end of the campaign and fulfillment, right? And, and undervaluing yourself isn't necessarily about not providing a, a great um, value to your potential backer and feeling like you're too greedy. It's really about understanding that there's a lot of variables that either I don't know or like your binding story that you don't control. And, and if, you, if you didn't price accordingly to, to leave yourself some room to overcome some of those obstacles, at the end of the day, you could deliver something that, that doesn't meet expectations and it's just going to be pointed back at you and blamed at you. And, and unfortunately, who knew that there was going to be a virus? Who knew that that binder didn't understand glue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> or they're um, cheap on it, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, it's um, you, you have to vet. I, I, I pound this into creators' heads all the time. Uh, if they're going to be our clients and they work with us, is you have to value your art, you have to value your product, and and you have to make sure that you're charging the right amount. And that isn't necessarily a you're charging too much. It's are are you factoring in all these things? That, that are going to lead down the road to fulfillment. And, and luckily, a company like you guys, that you're on your ninth Kickstarter, it's not your first rodeo, you've learned a lot. Um, now you're in a position where you can call that shot prior to launching a campaign and, and, and get the best pricing on, on your, your order and your lot. But um, the only reason you were able to do that is because you did follow those best practices of fulfillment. And you really, you really took care of your audience and made sure that, that they got what they were expecting in a reasonable amount of time. And uh, what we found too is uh, the $25 and the $50 price point are the ones that are most frequently used. Um, I, I, other people have told me that, you know, five and 10 bucks is the way to go. And uh, I, not for us. And I'm, I, every case is different, but uh, for whatever reason, I think people that are on Kickstarter are looking around, uh, they just have more disposable income. Otherwise, why are they there anyway? So 25 to $50, and you know, you wanna, you wanna put more stuff in it and try to make it seem like it's a value package especially when it's a reprint, like what we're doing now. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I definitely uh, don't under, underprice your product. I mean, because that's, that's, that's a lose, lose, lose. And uh, I've seen it happen many times. I pledged one a few years ago. I don't know if you remember this campaign or heard about this campaign, but the, the guy was an independent creator for comic books. He had done a campaign, and he'd actually printed the books, but he got so mad and so upset about the whole process and everything that he literally – dumped all the books into a ditch and burned them and put it on video and put it on his Facebook feed and put it on. And he actually posted that in an update on the, uh, on the Kickstarter. And, and obviously this guy's done in our industry. He's not going to be able to do another one. You know what I mean? But it was just such a, uh, you know, you always talk about uh, things like you're burning your bridge or you're burning, you know, or you're just, <laughs> just, I saw he took, that. He took the metaphor. He took it literally. <laughs> literally. And I, yeah. when I saw this, I laughed. I actually laughed. I was like, Oh my God. But you know, if you spent, if you, if you bought into the campaign and you spent 10 bucks and, and you see this guy's not fulfilling it, he got your money and then he burns the books. 
I mean, wow. That I just that was so weird to me. That's the only time I've ever seen anything like that. I bet he felt really good in the moment, though, right? Uh, you <laughs> know, long term. Each their own. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's just a little crazy. Yeah, I tell you, you know, it, as a super backer myself, you know, I, I back a lot of projects, and um, I am willing to pay that extra premium to take care of a creator. And I don't think I'm alone. I, I think that most backers in this community share that same mindset. So, so this is to everybody out there value yourself price accordingly for the disasters do not burn your your product in a ditch that's and don't gouge people either i mean the other thing i've seen i've seen that on a couple campaigns especially by new people where they overprice it and uh, so there is a weird you know balance of where where do you find that and uh because there was a guy um a couple years ago who was pricing a 32 page comic at 25 bucks and uh, I'm just like, the average 32 page comic is $3. You know, I, I make an assume that you could probably go five or 10 as part of a Kickstarter by doing some extra stuff, making exclusive or limited or whatever. But jacking that up to 25 bucks, I just looked at that. His campaign failed. It didn't even achieve its minimum, you know, and, and he shut it down after a week and didn't, you know, but I was looking at that and I, it was sort of one of those reminders that the opposite is true as well. There is a range that you can go in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Well, the the project is fantastic witchblade you know um household character name the the art looks fantastic i love the idea of the exclusive dust cover on the hardcover and um you guys are doing it right man um all right well go fulfill those rewards uh uh put on that dust mask for that yeah. coronavirus that's no joke we're actually going that to the warehouse no tomorrow joke. to do it so yeah snorkel i would yeah. i would do the whole thing man <laughs> Right on, man. All right, my friend. Good luck to you guys. Um, everyone, check them out. Witchblade on Kickstarter um, and possibly Shopify afterwards. Yeah, we'll we're looking, I'll look into All that right. today. Give me something to do today. All yeah. right, man. All right. Take Th care. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. That was Matt Hawkins from Top Cow and uh, the Witchblade campaign. Really good conversation there. Um, let's do a little bit of woodshed business. We are woodshed agency, the crowdfunding guys. Uh, if you're a project creator thinking about running an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter, or if you've got a small company and you're looking to scale, you're thinking about dipping your toes into the water of equity crowdfunding, um, go over to the website, woodshed.agency, and book a time to have a consultation with Jeff or I. We'll get on the phone with you for, for a call, hear about your project, hear about your ideas, share some best practices, what's been working for other project creators out there, what's been working at Woodshed Agency, and um, help you help you arm yourself with the tools you need to succeed. And if there's a chance that we might be able to work together, um, we'll possibly explore that too. But our main goal here is to arm you with the information you're looking for to be a successful campaign. Um, what else we got going on in the world? Uh, I, you know, Jeff and I met through music. I've been uh, rekindling my music spirits here by drumming in my favorite musical Hedwig and the Angry Inch on the Detroit run. I've been selling out shows every night. I got my last weekend uh, show run coming up. So I'll be heading off shortly here to go do that. Um, then for me, it's back nose down to creating content, telling the stories and the strategies of all of our Wichita agency clients, making those Kickstarter videos, making those, those Facebook ads, those social media posts, all the, the little Omnivert 3D ads that are really cool working. So uh, that's what I'll be doing moving forward. You get Jeff back for the next episode uh, to continue the path of talking to, to creators out there. So 
if you're a creator, if you're in the middle of your campaign, you're out there doing it, um, go back and listen to some of the episodes with some great information. Keep that nose down, get the word out, build your audience, and uh, go get those campaigns successfully funded. All right, kids, we out. <laughs>